0: Listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com.
1: Would you stand with me today as we read our scripture, if you're able to stand? It's on page 965 in the black Bible in the chair in front of you. This is in the English Standard Version, Matthew 7. Verses 7 to 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Please be seated. The Lord.
0: We all thought that we knew what we needed. But we were all wrong, and we were all stuck and suffering, and nobody knew what to do. When our youngest daughter, Isabel, was a toddler, she had trouble sleeping through the night, like real trouble. And it had gotten to the pattern where every night we would put her down for bed, and she would go to sleep for maybe half an hour and just start crying out inconsolably. And the only thing that would help her calm down is if my wife Amelia would go in and lie down with her and comfort her and get her back to sleep. But then as soon as Amelia would try and leave and come back to bed, Isabel would start crying again. And so they'd finally just sort of come to some halfway solution of Amelia lying in bed with Isabel and... We had tried that with her in our bed, and it was just miserable because this kid would just flail her arms and kick. It was just it was crazy. So neither of them were getting any sleep. They were both exhausted, and we didn't know what to do. And we thought we knew what to do because we'd had three other kids. We'd read the parenting books. We'd done everything that they'd said to do. Isabel wanted sleep, Amelia wanted sleep, I wanted sleep. I mean, imagine being the husband, lying in bed, and there's all this caterwauling's going on, right? Like, who's taking care of me? (laughs) Because I'm a high sleep needs person. Uh, We finally got some help from a sleep clinic that helped us realize that Isabel had conditioned herself to think that the only way that she could get what she needed is if Amelia was sleeping with her. And in desperation, Amelia had kind of conditioned herself that way, and I had, you know, been willing to go along with it. You guys go handle that, and I'll just stay back here and try and get some sleep. The solution was recognizing we've all kind of created this problem. Even though we want something good, we're going about it the wrong way. Jeff is the one who's going to have to go in and uh, get Isabel calmed down as best as he can and then come back, and if she cries out, Amelia, you can't go into her. Jeff is the one who has to go in and calm her down. And I'd been glad to let Amelia go in and and handle that. (laughs) But uh, the solution was I had to be the one to take charge of that, which meant a miserable week of going through this process of me putting her down and Isabel crying out and then me going back to our room and getting maybe 20 minutes of sleep until she cried out again over and over and over again all night. And it took a week of us getting about four hours of sleep each night until finally Isabel accepted that mom was not going to come in and give her what she wanted and, and that she could sleep without her. That Isabel finally learned that the thing that she really needed, she wasn't going to be able to get for herself, and she had to trust that it was going to be provided for her, and and we had to accept that for ourselves, too. And uh, just FYI, Isabel's 19 now, and she still likes us, and so we're thankful it all worked out that way. I think there's a picture there of what Jesus is getting at in this passage that we're looking at this morning. Jesus has shown us the the beauty of the kingdom that he's inviting us into, a kingdom of life and joy and love and pure hearts and honesty and compassion and integrity and safety and security. and, And who doesn't want to live in a community like that? I mean, that picture of that kind of life is just, it's so attractive and it's deeply challenging. Because... I long to have that kind of life, but the more I look at myself, I see how far short I fall and how little invested I am in changing myself to look like that kind of person. Because a lot of the times what I really want is for God to change my circumstances and to fix those other people so that I can have a peaceful, joyful, beautiful life around me. I think I know what's good for me, but God gives us what we most need and can't produce. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. God gives us what we most need but can't produce. We're in this series called Foundations where we're looking at this message called the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches, a picture of what God's kingdom is like, and and we're in the towards the end of this second movement of that message where Jesus has pictured the goodness of the life and the kingdom that God invites us into. And and those who are blessed and happy in that kingdom are not the people we expect. It's the spiritually poor, the humble, the gentle, those who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness in their lives. And, And he's challenged us as well with the way that we tend to respond to the world around us repaying evil for evil and and how we tend to focus on externals like you know being faithful in our marriages but Jesus is saying no it's really about what's going on in your hearts and what you're thinking about that that living in God's kingdom and reflecting what he is like is is praying for people who hurt you and blessing those who curse you it's not just about not committing adultery but about the anger that we sometimes allow to fester and and how we sometimes long for people to notice our outward expressions of religious activity and and how our prayers can often be selfish and shallow and we see our own greed, we see our own stress over not trusting that God really is going to be good and work things out the right way and and we agree with Jesus that that's the way everyone else ought to be and if only those people would be more like that, then my life could be great. if you 've heard what god 's kingdom is like, if, if you've seen it and if you paid attention, we should be feeling overwhelmed. If you don't feel both attracted and humbled by what Jesus is saying in this message, we haven't been paying attention. And that's where Jesus says, ask, seek, knock there in verse 7. It sounds like just another encouragement to pray, right? Ask, And it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. But Jesus has just given us a model prayer back in the earlier movement of this message. Why why another message just about prayer that seems to be randomly inserted here? Because what he's just been talking about is our temptation to not judge people hypocritically, self-righteously. Why follow that with a reminder to pray and then close that off with this call to treat others the way we want to be treated. Ask, seek, and knock are Jesus' invitation and encouragement for us to come to the Father for the help to live the life that he's called us to, that we can't produce in ourselves. We can't keep God's law. We we can't stop judging other people for their failures. We we can't even keep this simple summary to treat others the way we want to be treated. What do we do? I mean, we're, we're brought back to Jesus' very first words in this message. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We ask God for mercy and for help to change us and to renew us because God gives us what we most need but can't produce. So we're going to follow this passage by looking, first of all, at feeling our need. The first thing Jesus is encouraging us to do is to let the discomfort settle in and to feel our need for God's help. Now, in this section that Pastor Joey did a great job taking us through last week, Jesus gives us wonderfully ridiculous image of a person with a log stuck in their own eye who's trying to help someone else who has a a little speck in their own eye. Jesus is talking about this dynamic that all of us experience, right? That we can be more aware of other people's sins than our own. They, They seem gigantic even when ours maybe relatively are just as bad and our own vision is impaired. We've got our own sometimes bigger sins in our lives. Don't you know your own heart a hundred times better than you know anyone else's? I know what's going on inside of me a hundred times better than I know what's going on even inside my wife's heart. And, And when I look inside, I know way more about the mess in me than I know about the mess in other people. So why don't I think of... My own anger, my own selfishness, my own pride, my own greed, my own untrusting anxiety is a hundred times worse than what other people seem to express. Because there's something wrong with my heart. There's something wrong with my vision. We know ourselves better than anyone else, and yet somehow other people's sins seem bigger and more serious than our own, and and it just shows how how desperately messed up our hearts are and how we need help. And Jesus is telling us this so that we would feel the need for what we can't do for ourselves. When we are honest, when we're really honest with ourselves, we know we're a mess on the inside. My biggest problem is not other people's sins or other people's failures or the wrongs that other people are doing. My biggest problem is me. And to be a child of God, to love enemies, to bless those who curse, to pray for those who persecute us, to to be a peacemaker who are called children of God means to take the log out of my own eye. And and, and honestly, I mean, that's hard. It's humbling, right? I'm supposed to love those people? I'm supposed to forgive them? I'm supposed to bless them after all that they've done? Yeah, let them apologize first. Let them be humble and forgiving. When we realize that we are proud and greedy and impatient and selfish and self-centered, that should actually be a good thing for us. It, It actually should lead us to hope. Because now we're positioned to do the best thing, which is to give up on ourselves and ask for help. To feel the need. Do do we have a a community like that? A a fellowship like that? Are are you like that? With this balance of of truth-telling and gracious gentleness and patience. You you know, you, you wonder, do I have that balance? Am I like what Jesus is calling me to? Why don't we just assume no? Because that's all of us right? None of us do. But, but what Jesus is pointing us to is that God gives us what we need and can't produce. And that's why he says to ask and seek and knock. He wants us to feel the need so that we cry out for help. We cry out for his help. You know that you're a mess. You've heard everything that God has called you to do, and you keep falling short Call out to him. Ask, seek, knock. That's what Jesus says. And and don't stop. Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open to you. Those are all active present tense verbs, which means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Because we will never in this life outgrow our need for God's help and God's empowerment. Tell God what's on your mind. Tell him what kind of a mess you're in. Tell him who's in the mess with you. Tell him what's broken your heart. Tell him who's on your case, what's on your nerves. And and be honest with him about what you've done and and where you're struggling, where you've messed up and how you fall short and, and the ways that you're stumbling and the ways that you need his help. Cry out to him. Cry out to help. Ask God to shine the light of his truth over all that you've done and maybe all that that other person has done so that the two of you can sort it out and he can heal you and help you. Nothing keeps us stuck and resentful more than pride. Pride is the main reason why we just stay in the same place, and, and God wants to free us. God wants to help us. But if we don't invite him, how do we change? How do we become the people that God calls us to be? I, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to have all kinds of other prayers. Man, mean, I can really be persistent in praying for the things that I think I need and that I think will make my life happier and more fulfilling it's it's easier for us to ask persistently for God to do something about the circumstances in our lives I can be really persistent in praying to God about those difficult people in my life Lord this this painful situation this difficult thing, this illness is making life hard, Would, would you do something other people are walking in darkness other people are doing wrong things Lord would you straighten them out how often do I persistently ask that God would change my character, that God would grow me, that God would humble me, that God would change me? Lord, would you break this critical spirit in my soul? Lord, would you root out the self-righteousness that's, that slammed the door shut on reconciling with this other person because of what I'm bringing into the relationship? Lord, I'm pleading with you to take away my selfishness and my impatience, my self-righteousness, my poor attitude. And I don't know about you, but not enough of my prayer times are desperate prayers, persistent prayers to ask God to change me and to humble me and to cry out for help to be more like the person he wants me to be. If we're going to become that kind of person, We have to invite Jesus to be at work in us. So I want to invite us to take just a a moment to ask what, what part of your life, what aspect of your character can you honestly say this needs to change? Some of us need to pray that the Lord would break our critical spirit because there's a lot of it in our world. Some of us need to maybe Pray that God would help us accept that it's not just those sinners out there, but that I am spiritually bankrupt before God outside of Jesus. Maybe we just need to pray, Lord, would you change what I desire? Because my desires are disordered. What is it for you? Would you be willing to commit to ask and seek and knock? To transform you into the person that he wants to free you to become so that you look more like this picture of beautiful life in his kingdom. What if you committed to do that for, for the next three months, of up, up this season of fall, up until Christmas? And you just said, Lord, I'm going to make this a commitment Daily to pray that you would plow up whatever you need to in my heart and my life because I want what you have pictured your kingdom looks like. Are you willing to do that? Willing to pray persistently that he would transform you into the person that he calls beautiful? Because he invites us to cry out for help because he gives us what we most need and can't produce. And we pray, trusting in his provision. We feel the need, we cry out for help, and we trust in his provision. Look in verse 8. Because everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. If, If you... If his son asked for bread, would give him a stone. Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent. If if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus promises that what we most need, he will give us. In fact, he will never Ask us to be something, to do something that he doesn't give us the power to do. You're having trouble forgiving someone. Have you really persistently asked God to help you forgive? And kept going back because, you know, that that feeling, that emotional response can come up. And as often as it does, we go back to him and ask him again to help us give it back to him. We don't know where to go. We we don't know what to do. Am I persistently asking God for his wisdom? Who, Who does these things consistently? Only Jesus does, which is why we need him, why we cry out to him with the confidence that he will give us what we don't have, but what we most need. Because this is what Jesus is like. And he uses this great practical example to encourage us to, to know that God will answer those prayers. Human fathers give their children what they need, right? I mean, could you imagine a son coming to his dad and saying, Hey, it's getting to be about lunchtime. What is there to eat? And you think it would be a really great joke to point him over to this flat rock that looks like a loaf of bread and say, There it is, son. Dig in. Go for it. I mean, I. Sure, there are horrible, abusive parents, but Jesus is saying in the normal course of things that even though we're sinful people, we don't treat our own children that way. If your son asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake like, here you go, ah! you know it's, a, it's, it's this crazy image, right? If human fathers, if human parents delight to give our children what they most need, How much more will your Father in heaven, who is perfect and has all wisdom, how much more will He give you what you need for everything that He calls you to do? In in fact, the best gift that God gives us is Himself. In Luke's parallel version, Jesus says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What what an amazing promise. Don't, Don't skip past that. God is saying, I will come and live in you when you ask, and I will keep empowering you and strengthening you And guiding you for everything that I've called you to do. For work and parenting and relationships and all of it. We cannot do it by ourselves. And thank God that he doesn't ask us to. Because God gives us what we most need and can't produce. By his power, we can actually live lives that look like what Jesus has pictured. And and that's the last thing he's saying here. We've felt our need. We cry out for help. We trust in his provision so that we can reflect his character. So that we can reflect his character. That's what verse 12 is about. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, it doesn't mean we assume that everybody wants what we want. You know, for example, I would love a really nice built-out garage workspace. My wife Amelia doesn't seem particularly interested in that. So that would be a bad Christmas gift for her, right? <laughs> I love hearing words of affirmation and encouragement. Oh, that was so meaningful. Thank you. That was so thoughtful. I, I, that, that really was helpful to me. My wife Amelia thinks talk is cheap. Don't tell me you love me. Clean the bathroom. Okay? See, Jesus is going deeper than those, those surface-level things. How do we want others to treat us? With kindness, with respect, with gentleness, assuming the best about us, giving us the benefit of the doubt, extending grace, extending forgiveness showing patience. We want to be valued. We want to be encouraged. We want to hear that we matter. And we we want to be encouraged and helped to be our best selves. That's what we all want. For this is the law and the prophets. That means this is what God is like. Because what is the law and the prophets? It's God's revelation of his character and his will for his people. Because that's who he is. That's what he intends us to be like him. This is what your father is like. He does what is right, he is kind and gentle and patient and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Not holding sins against others, but forgiving them. Patient and kind and gentle and humble. He has made peace with you through the blood of his son shed on the cross. We treat others the way we want to be treated because that's what God is like to us. And when we know that, and when we experience it in a way that calls us to cry out for help and trust in God's provision, then his life starts to flow out of us to reflect what he is like because he helps those in need and he answers prayers for those who cry out to him. And it's important, Jesus is saying, because my love for others is a measure of my love for God. The the grace that he gives to us we extend to others. And and if we aren't extending the same grace and kindness and patience and gentleness and love, then have we really understood it ourselves? See, a right assessment of ourselves and a right understanding of who God is for us leads to a, a right and a beautiful action towards others. When the Holy Spirit is is directing my life and filling me that changes how i live and and it shows up in how i treat people does my relationship with god make a difference in how i relate to others how is this rule this this you know this aphorisms the so-called golden rule how is it going to make a difference in the lives of people that I interact with today or tomorrow morning at work? Am, am I, is it going to help me speak more gently to the barista at Starbucks that got my coffee order wrong? Or, or make me more patient with the guy that cut me off in traffic? Is, is it going to help, help me help my spouse instead of complaining about all the stuff that they're not doing? Am I going to be moved to assume the best about others? Am I going to be a peacemaker when I'm in conflict with others? Because that's what God is like. If I'm committed to loving God and others, because I know that I've been treated kindly and fairly and lovingly and graciously and patiently, then, then it starts to show up in the way that I talk to them, the way that I treat them, the way that I interact with them. And, and when we do that, the world is impacted and amazed. Then, then we are like a light and like salt in a world that's dark. God gives us what we most need and what we can't produce in ourselves. That's what Jesus is inviting us to recognize and to cry out to God for help in. Because really, prayer, if if you think about it, prayer by itself doesn't really produce Jesus' life in us. It all depends on what we're praying about and why we're praying, the attitude, and, and what we're asking God for. It's only what... Christ has done and his life in us and the pursuit of that through prayer produces his life in us Jesus says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and and all the things that we need will be added to us will be given to us it means that my priority in asking and seeking and knocking is this life of his kingdom You have a Father in heaven who loves you so much that he gave you the greatest thing he could ever give you, the life and the death and the resurrection of his Son on your behalf to forgive you, to reconcile you, and to save you when we could in no way ever deserve it or earn it. He gave us his one and only Son to be counted guilty in our place to be nailed to the cross with my sin and with your sin, with the sin of everyone who will trust in him, laid on him, so that we are no longer guilty, we're no longer condemned, we are reconciled, we are made right, and that all the ways that we have gone wrong have been laid on God's own son so that we could actually become new people, that we could actually look like God's son. If you are joined together with Jesus by faith, you are not only forgiven, but you are new and you are empowered and and encouraged and invited by Jesus to keep coming back to him for the life that only he can produce in us, this beautiful life in his kingdom. If you are joined together with him, you have a new power, a new joy, a new strength, a new ability to live this kind of life that we so long for, and yet we can see how far short we fall. And that's the normal reality of walking with Jesus. And in response to that, what he's inviting us to do is to ask and seek and knock and to keep on asking, to keep on seeking for more of him, to keep on knocking. Like a child going to their parents in the middle of the night saying, I need a drink of water, help me, give me what I need. And the parent opens the door and gives the child what is good for them. When you cannot make sense of your life, when everything seems like it's crazy and wrong and painful and upside down, Remember that he loved you enough to give you the ultimate gift he could give, the life of his own son. And and he gave it to you so that you would know his love. What makes us think he's going to stop loving us now that we are his children? What, What would ever make us think he's going to stop pouring out goodness and power and hope and love for us now that we are reconciled to him? Sometimes you can't figure out where to go. You can't understand what God's doing. Look back to the cross and remind yourself that even if it doesn't seem to make any sense, it is filtered through his love and his good purposes and cry out to him, not just for deliverance from the problem, but for the character of Christ and the faithfulness and the endurance in the middle of the trial. Because that's what Jesus is like and that's what he wants to give to you. Your Father will hear and answer for your good because he loves you. And you know that you also have the Son of God at the right hand of the Father praying for you. Praying for the good that God wants to do in you. Praying and sending out the Holy Spirit to do what we need but what we can't do in ourselves. Oh, that is the confidence and the hope that Jesus wants us to have and wants you to experience. You've been joined by him by faith and he's, he's not only asking you to ask and seek and knock, he wants you to know that he is asking and seeking and knocking. And he is interceding on your behalf to give you what you need but what you cannot produce in yourself so that you would reflect what Jesus is like. The creator of heaven and the ruler of heaven and earth claims over the whole world that he loves you, that he is your father, that he will give you everything that you need for everything that he's called you to do. So ask boldly, ask and seek and knock because God is the one who gives what we need but cannot produce. Let's pray in that confidence. Oh, Father, we pray that in hearing your word and and being reminded of all that Jesus has shown us of your beauty and the goodness of your character and your kingdom, we would again be awed and overwhelmed by your goodness, that you would set your affection on us, that that you would give us new life, that you would give us eternal life that has begun even now, That, that your Son was crucified and raised from the dead and seated on a throne by your right hand who is praying for us, who is interceding for us and for our good And so, Father, when our eyes are dim and we can't understand what you're doing, help us to remember who you are. Help us to trust you for the provision of all that we need because you are our Father who gave his Son for us. So help us not only to trust you, Lord, in our circumstances, but that you would empower us that we would be transformed to look more like Jesus next week or a month or three months from now than we, than we do today because of persistent prayer to ask and seek and knock and that, Father, you would give the provision to do what we cannot do. Do your work within us. Draw hearts and lives to you to know your salvation and your transformation. We pray for, for your work And for our encouragement in the name of Jesus who was slain and raised and who
1: rules for us. Amen.